Hello and welcome back to Lessons from Award-winning Publisher Podcasts from Media Voices. I'm Peter Houston and I'm learning all I can about making successful podcasts from some of the winners of the 2021 Publisher Podcast Awards. In the second episode in this season, I'm talking to Ben Hewitt. Ben works on a whole portfolio of podcasts at Immediate, including the award winners Olive and the History Extra podcast. When we recorded this, Ben was a podcast producer at Immediate, but he's since been promoted to head of podcasts. Before we get into Ben's work at Immediate, I asked him, how did he get started in audio? So starting at the beginning, you know, finishing university with a, a contemporary music production degree, you know, passionate about music and played music, played in a band and, you know, and sort of had the skill set to be uh, an audio technician and an editor. Um, ended up doing my junior position at a small production house in Malvern, um, in, in sort of the West, West sort of Midlands in, in England. Um, and it was really great. You know, it, that was where I sort of cut my teeth and got to work on a few sort of uh, dramas for Radio 4 and things like that at a junior level. But, you know, it was a really great education early on. And I did that for a couple of years straight off, straight after university. Then took a real left turn and spent two years working for cruise ships as an audio technician. So that was really kind of cool. Uh, two years in the Caribbean on about, on about five ships, um, which is sort of not what I had intended. But, yeah, yeah when, when that first gig sort of dried up a bit, I, I found myself going, right, here's my skill set. You know, the opportunities available, let's give it a go. So yeah, two years there and a bunch of fun. Um, so was that like doing the performance, making sure the performers on mic top and making yeah. sure the music sounded right and all that stuff? Exactly. So it was two shows a night, seven days a week, uh, mixing live production shows. Sometimes you'd have a full band with a horn section, singers, dancers. Yeah, it was really, really fun and exciting. I was, I was young enough to do it with enthusiasm, um, but it is sort of a seven day a week eight, nine months at a time kind of gig. So by, by the time you've finished your first contract, you're pretty tired. Um, but it was fun, you know, and it was so, such a good sort of um, professional furnace to sort of forge a lot of skills. I mean, you've not seen troubleshooting until it's five minutes before showtime and all the microphones have broke or, you know, for some reason the speakers aren't working or the lights have gone off. You know, so sort of seven day a week being in that environment teaches you a lot of skills in terms of how to you know, be a technician, basically, and how to work with people, work with big production teams, just a lot of translatable skills that you can bring into publishing, which is where where I've ended up and where I'm, I'm really was always trying to, trying to get to and happy now. And then, yes, yeah, so I did the cruise ships for a couple of years, and then I um, went back a little bit later on to do my master's degree, so I got my master's out of the way. Um, spent about nine months freelancing and doing bits and bobs, but sort of really wanted to be part of a larger company. I, I really like just doing the work and you know, when you're a freelancer, you spend a lot of your time sort of schmoozing clients and trying to get on different contracts. But yeah, I just I just really wanted to be a part of a, a big organization. So I was on the hunt for about nine months and then eventually Immediate took me on and I've been there for about two and a half years now. And yeah, happy as a clam. So when you joined Immediate, what was Immediate's kind of podcast resources like? How had the, how had the business resourced the podcast production? So... Before I arrived, there was a there was one technician, and his name was Jack Fletcher, and he'd been there for a number of years. And he was uh, an editor, and he ran the podcast production studio, and he'd go out on shoots, and you know he'd just manage kit and edits uh, on a, on a weekly basis. And I think uh, around about that time when I came in, there was probably about four or five 
different brands that all had different uh, podcasts. Some were doing two a week, some were doing sort of one a week, but it was a lot less than what we do now. Uh, and since I came in, you know, we've got a much larger team. So we've got a team of three editors and some admin support around the business. And yeah, we've scaled things up considerably. So I think on, a, on any given week, we probably release now about 20, 22 episodes a week across various different brands. So that sort of happened gradually over about two years. But yeah, I think that's hopefully that sort of sets the scene for how much it's sort of ramped up the last couple of years in terms of output. <laughs> What is your actual possession? What's your title? So my title is podcast producer, but I don't think that fully encompasses <laughs> quite everything that goes into the role. So uh, I often joke saying, you know, I wear all the hats, you know, I write the themes too, and I play the theme too, and I sing the theme too, yeah, that gag. Uh, typically, my my fundamental core purpose at the media is just facilitating podcast operations. So I've got a team of three editors. It could be, you know, making sure that they have got their schedule sorted out, making sure that they know what recordings are on, what edits are going to hit their desk which week, and making sure that they get their deadlines in. But it's also talking to the brand teams and working with editorial and trying to kick around ideas for editorial content that relates to the podcast medium. So it's not, you know, I'm not an expert when it comes to history or I'm not an expert when it comes to food or gardening or anything like that. And I'm always constantly in awe of the editorial teams because they're just not, you know, that sounds like a, you know, kissing up or whatever, but seriously, they know so much. They're genuine experts in what they do. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just there to be an engine to try and help them do it. You know, they know that they want to make a series about X, Y, Z. And I understand podcast formatting and I understand creatively how it would work. You know, certain formats lend themselves to a round table. Other formats are better as a one-on-one. Others are better as more as a, a dramatic sort of, you know, docudrama series sort of approach. So it's a lot about sort of having a creative workshop feel with the editorial teams to make sure that, that you know, we're always doing the best we can from a content side of things and they're, they're always being supported. And then, yeah, sort of, off of that, I'm also responsible for helping the teams develop marketing campaigns and commercial campaigns. So really, I'm across various different things, um, from commercial to editorial to production, specialising in production predominantly, and then helping editorial and commercial sort of achieve their goals as well. I mean, I think part of that job that you're doing is because podcasting is reasonably new to publishing. Uh, and it's that, I suppose it's that support aspect. Do you find that when you're having a conversation, I don't know, with, with whoever's leading the brand, that they've got really good ideas, but they don't know how to implement them? Yeah, definitely. All the time. And uh, that's the that's the best thing about my job in, in, a, in a strange way is that I get to be the engine that allows them to do it. And they get yeah. to focus entirely on sort of the best guests, you know, or the best format or the best questions or the best topics. And they really get to come at it from an editorial angle, which is quite sort of pure and undistracted. You know, they just get to focus on what's going to be good from a content angle. And then I come in and go, all right, well, if we're doing a round table, we need a studio, we need this type of, you know, mic setup, or we've got to go out on location, or if we're going to edit it, it needs to be approved by this date, blah, 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 blah. So I sort of build the process around whatever it is they want to achieve. Uh, and that's a really fun position to be in, you know, so just helping your mates work, get, yeah. get there content made immediate's done really well in our awards have you seen the quality quality is a weird word but have you seen podcast the podcast immediate progress over the couple of years that you've been there 
Definitely. Quality is, is a weird word because, you know, there's audio quality, there's editorial quality, there's sort of, you know, branding and marketing and consistency. But I think basically all of those have improved. You know, every now and again, something will be recorded and you think, oh, my God, <laughs> have you done that? But but it's about training and it's about support and it's about staying on top of it and pushing things along. So, we you know, we regularly do trainings with different teams. We, you know, we invest in equipment. We make sure the process is really nailed down and super clear and easy to follow. And, yeah, you know, the, the audio quality, I mean, probably 10 years ago, podcasting, even at, you know, a commercial publishing level, was probably just one person with a recorder going out on location and just sticking a mic in front of someone. You know, now it, there's such high expectations from an audience level that, you know, it has to be radio standard production quality. When you're doing as many episodes a week as we are doing, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to maintain that because you can't be in 22 different places at once, but we still manage to do 22 episodes a week. But yeah, I think overall just better equipment, better understanding, better training with the teams and, and more of a community emphasis within the company you know so many people in immediate different brands different podcasters are all doing it so there's this sort of energy right. and everyone wants to sort of there's a little bit of competition sometimes between different brands which isn't which isn't the worst thing in the world but yeah everyone sort of wants to be good at it and you can't you can't buy that you know you can't just send out an email and everyone is suddenly enthusiastic about it you know we've had to really do our best to encourage the teams over years and years and years and be consistent with it so that they, they want to do the best they can do. And, and that improves the quality, that improves budgets, that improves the, the microphones we've got access to, the studio we've got access to, how far in advance we're planning seasons. All that stuff is what we're trying to prioritize and trying to make people feel really positive about it. It seems to be working so far. Is there brands at Immediate that don't have a podcast? Yeah. Uh, you know, Immediate is a fairly large you know, yeah. publisher so there there are a number of brands that don't have a podcast probably a few brands that could have a podcast and maybe you know i've dropped them an email every now and again and said hey guys you know this would be yeah this this would be a good one do you want to do it and you know it's a, it's a process and it's a commitment you know so i understand why yeah. brands might want to scope it out and see other examples and stuff like that and i think it's a, it's responsible of brands to do it that way as well because you can't just sort of do one episode and call it quits you're going to need yeah. to do a season or do a year or do a couple of years it's a responsibility to your listeners as well you just don't want to put something out that they're not going to enjoy and it's not going to reflect well on you so i i can understand people wanting to sort of scope it out first but yeah there's a couple of brands that might be on my list for the future we'll see so one of those brands came along and said okay we're, we're going to do it us we've listened hmm. we want to start what would your starting point be from your point of view well that's always the, the simple one for me because going back to the bit where i'm not an expert on any specialist subject, I get to be very objective in that. And it, and it normally just boils down to one simple question, which is what do you want your show to be? Do you want it to be a super niche thing that's, you know, niche within a niche within a niche? <laughs> you know, you could, you could do food and then you could do cooking for health or you could do individual series. You could do one for baking. You could do something on cocktails. You could do something on this and something on that vegan, you know, series, etc. which are all things that we've done. Or you could go more general and say, you know, it's a magazine program. So each episode, we're going to cover something completely different. One week, it'll be drinks. The next week, it'll be travel. The next week, it'll be this. Uh, and that's just using food as an example. You know, you can, you can do this for every single topic every single medium do you want it to be broad and chatty and fun and friendly do you want it to be a deep dive do you want it to be very personal do you want it to be a round table uh sort of discussion or debate so i think once you sort of get the broad picture of what the team want then you can start putting the, the building blocks into place again it's that idea that you 
kind of help them figure out what they want to do and then you help them do it the example i like to use is that dave musgrove on history yeah i'm I'm constantly in awe of dave because he just he's an idea machine but he also just knows the history audience so well in a way that i don't and i probably will never know the history audience the way dave does because i'm sort of on the outside you know for me i could come in and put an idea forward to the team and i'd say something like right why don't we do an episode on world war ii and they'll go, um, it's been a, I don't know about that, mate. And I go, okay, well, what do you want to do? And they'll say, well, how about we do an episode on medieval villages? And never in a million years would my brain have gone to medieval villages. Yeah. But that's where they, that's where theirs went. And they are completely right. And I am completely wrong because they've just got such a, a deep rooted understanding of what history audiences want and what you know, they understand to be interesting, what they think is going to be interesting. The guests that would come in and do a good job of it, which books they need to read, which films they need to watch, which questions they need to ask. You know, they're just they've got such a deep rooted understanding. And this is across all our editorial teams. I'm just constantly in awe of them. Yeah. So for me, my job when I sort of realized, right. My job is not to come up with those ideas. My job is to make their ideas sing as best as possible. And that's that's such a, a liberating way to look at it. The award you guys won this year was for the best sponsored podcast. Uh, I'm just wondering how, as a producer, you get involved in that. I mean, we have sales leads on each brand and, and sort of group sales leads that look after a portfolio of brands and stuff like that. Coming back to your point earlier about podcast being fairly new you know i work with podcast day in day out so from the start probably when i first started working at media i didn't have a lot to do with the commercial side and that's grown and grown now i have a fairly big hand in in a lot of the commercial strategy or at least i'll give my input to different teams in terms of how they can sell sponsorships or which markets they should be looking at you know here's your audience here this is what you can do there Uh, and a lot of our content is bbc so you know we can't do a lot of commercial stuff in the way that non-BBC yeah, sure. brands do it. But for Olive, for example, they're a non-BBC brand. So they're, they're a good example of sort of coming up with creative ideas. And again, it's just understanding the format and how podcasts work and say, right, you can do a horse read or you could do a sponsored episode or you could do a sponsored series. And it's just about introducing those ideas into the team. And some teams might hear those three examples. They might hear that and go, yep, sounds good to us. We'll take the lot. And other teams might go, oh, well, we're happy to do that, but we don't think that would work for us. And this other thing ain't going to happen, but this one will. And it's just about having that dialogue and that relationship with different teams to figure out commercially what are they interested in, what they're willing to stand behind and, and where you can adapt the content and how you can structure it. So it's all, you know, it's again, it's just going back to formatting and saying, right, for a sponsored series, we want to make sure that the sponsor that is sponsoring that series is something that we're willing to stand behind, you know, because editorial yeah. integrity is massively important to sure. us. So when you find a, a sponsor and we go, well, yeah, we're definitely willing to have them be our sponsor and not just put a message in, but we'll do an episode on this topic or that topic or why this is useful for you or what, what this can do, etc. Then, yeah, it just lines up really well and you, you can feel comfortable that the message you're putting out works and the client's happy and we are happy. And then it becomes quite easy to adapt the content when you actually have a sponsored message that you, you, you're happy to support as a brand and as a team. I mean, I guess, again, you're back at the audience, aren't you? It's like, well, let's just make sure we don't piss off the audience. <laughs> well, a, li- a little bit, but it's, you know, the thi- once you lose an audience member, you know, they're not coming back. If you've got bad quality audio, if, you, if your microphone ain't very good or if it's half a room away and you haven't got good mic technique or whatever, a typical audience member might give you 30 seconds or a minute and go, this is naff. 
maybe they'll mm. give a second episode a bit of a look, but half the time, not even that. You know, so you've only got one chance to make a good first impression. So you can't just sort of uh, cut corners and, and get a payday commercially now that presents you in a light that doesn't show off your editorial integrity. Mm. You, you know, that's got to be top priority at all times. And then the the hope is, of course, and, and not quite often it is the case that that pays dividends in six months' time, and in a year's time, eighteen yeah. months' time, and so on, because you know you stand you stand behind those principles and those standards, and that's that's your reputation. That's what people come to your brand to get. I'm quite proud of the way that we do it. You know, we try and get a comfortable mix between commercially hitting our targets, but then also representing those sponsorships properly. One of the things that you guys are doing, I think partly because of the BBC side of things, is working with people that I would call celebrities or mm -hmm. maybe influencers. Mm -hmm. Is working with Dave Musgrove at <laughs> History Extra or Janine Ratcliffe at, at Olive different from working with, I don't know, someone like Tom Carriage or Candice Brown or whoever? Uh, it is. I mean, I love working with Janine Ratcliffe and Dave Musgrove because they're both brilliant <laughs> and mad and, and, and genius in their individual field. Uh, it's different in the, obviously, you know, Tom Carriage, we've done two seasons with Tom Carriage, 10 part season, uh, season one, 10 part season, season two. The, the difference is, you know, Tom doesn't have a desk at Immediate. He's not a full-time employee at Immediate. I can't just ring him up to say, hey, mate, can you pop in and, you know, record this line we forgot to, we forgot to write down last week when you were in the studio. So, you know, it just becomes about time and, and resource. And if we've only got Tom for a couple of days, and we've got 10 episodes to record, then everyone's in battle yeah, station mode, especially yeah. during the Tom Carriage season because it's a full team operation. For everyone out there who's not familiar with the format, it's like a Q&A section where people send in questions over the week leading up to it, so we get a bit of social chatter together and a bit of excitement together, and then we look at recipes online, and, and then there's sort of a, a chat between the host and Tom, and sometimes we have special guests in. But the final bit of the show is whatever recipe we're there to talk about. So each episode is, you know, about cheese or pasta. It's one specific recipe, and that's that's that week's episode. But at the very end, there's a tasting. So that means in the good food kitchen upstairs, we've got our, our good food chefs just knocking up recipes all day, and they need to come in at the right time so that they're warm, and you know, they actually taste good. And, and yeah, a, a studio day with Tom would probably try and do five episodes in the day. And yeah, it starts early in the morning and goes right through to the, the end of a business day. But you sort of get in this really wonderful flow around about lunchtime where you've just been going all day and all the fun stuff starts to come out. So that's different because the pressure is different and the pace tightens up. And yeah, it's cool. It's, a, it's an interesting way of working. And if you were going to give either an individual editor or a business advice in how to get the podcasts off the ground, what would be that one kind of piece of advice? Well, I think I think a lot of people see podcasts as this sort of big unknown beast, you know, like there's some sort of cord to crack it. And I think um, what what's actually the case is you just need to go back to basics with it and say, okay, well, what is your brand or, or who are you as an individual? Are you an influencer? Are you a celebrity? Are you an independent? Are you, do you work for a big major company? Are you a major company? Figure out who you are and then act off of that platform that you've already got. And if you haven't got one, build one. So for example, if your brand is reliant on YouTube, so you've got a huge YouTube following, but maybe a newsletter isn't doing a lot of business, then try and put a crowbar in the podcast 
promos and plugs and you know get it on the youtube channel get it where the eyeballs are and and it, it doesn't need to be a lot more difficult than that if if your magazine is the thing that gets the most traction and you're releasing a new offering whether it be a podcast or a video series or a webinar or, or a new magazine or whatever it would be go to the place where the majority of your audience is and build off of that and just try and get visibility out there i, I suppose you said the one thing so i'll start with that but it's it's, it's also followed up with and the quality needs to be brilliant because it's no good doing really great you know marketing campaigns and getting this message out there if people go and find it and think I get, I get really excited and hyped up about it and then the quality lets it down so yeah with the caveat that the quality is also tip top yeah just 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 keep it simple and appeal to your audience where you know they are and, and build up the presence from there and, and don't expect it to happen overnight it'll take months maybe take years podcasting is very saturated at the minute and will continue to get more saturated as it goes on and grows in popularity so yeah, it'll take it'll take time, but you've got to be quite patient and quite tenacious. And you know, you will start to f- feel this week and see this week on week increase in listens. But yeah, it takes a lot of patience and tenacity, and just you got to keep on the ball consistently. Thanks for listening to Lessons from Award-Winning Publisher Podcasts from Media Voices. And a massive thanks to Ben Ewart from Immediate Media. With eight podcasts shortlisted in this year's awards, we're looking forward to seeing the team from Immediate at our awards ceremony in London on April the 27th. And depending on when you're listening to this, you can come to the awards too. Just head over to publisherpodcastawards.com, buy your tickets and come down on the night to meet the very best podcasters in publishing.